Hello and welcome to the latest edition of the Paddock Pass podcast. My name is Neil Morrison and I am coming to you today with a show all the latest reaction to the Grand Prix of Barcelona, 7th round of 2019, and one that had its fair share of drama, I think it's fair to say. I am not alone today. I am joined by the evergreen, ever-present, David Emmett of modomatters.com. Hi, David. How are you doing? I am not so good, although I'm finding this uh, omnipresence uh, business rather tiring. Yes, and frightening as well. Oh, yeah, God. Yeah, God. The things that you see, you do not really do not want to know. <laughs> yes, you have uh, you've returned from Barcelona safely. Yes, yes, uh, yes. I had a, uh, d- uh, despite having a um, uh, a brief hiccup when the plane, dis- well, uh, wouldn't start properly. They had an error message, so they had to turn it off and turn it back on again. Uh, fortunately, um, it worked and it uh, carried me safely home. Okay, right. So even at the highest, uh, the highest levels of technology, the old on and off trick works a treat. Yeah, it certainly does. It certainly does. Just pull the plug out and stick it back in again. <laughs> Fantastic. Well, glad to hear you made it home safely. David, uh, Barcelona was uh, was pretty dramatic. We all had it in our heads that we were going to see a, a four or five rider fight for the race win on Sunday. And, uh, well, it didn't really turn out that way. And there was one massive event that uh, led to that, really. Uh, yeah, exactly. I mean, it it really did look like we were going to have a t- uh, a, a close fight. Um, uh, Mark Marquez looked vulnerable all weekend, really. Uh, I'm sure we'll get to that later. But um, uh, on lap two, uh, turn ten, uh, the hairpin uh, Jorge Lorenzo, who was um, running at the front for a change. Um, decided to break a little bit harder than uh, he was used to and failed to get the thing stopped. It fell down and he took out um, three other riders as he as he went down, Maverick Vinales, Andrea Devicioso and, and, and Valentino Rossi. And that opened up just enough, enough of a gap for Mark Marquez, who was leading the race at the time. And the race was pretty much over from that point. Yeah, Marquez had, a, I think, a second in hand and uh, with uh, Petrucci in second place. Uh, the guys that had the real pace, Alex Rins and Fabio Quattararo, couldn't really get past the Ducati on the main straight and ended up, well, I think uh, Rins ended up overheating his front tyre um, trying to stay in Petrucci's slipstream and then uh, producing some monumental late-breaking feats to, uh, to get past him. And in that time, the Petrucci was second. Um, Marquez was just uh, clearing off and into the distance. Um, we saw some interesting reaction to Lorenzo's move. Um, it was, we have to say, it was a fantastic start from him. Uh, really liked the Lorenzo of old. I think he picked up six positions on the first lap alone, went from 10th to 4th, um, was making a move on Vinales, third place at turn 10. Um, we saw some different reactions. Davizioso accepted his apology. Rossi shrugged it off and said it's racing. It's one of those things. Sometimes it happens. But Vinales was quite outspoken and said that, well, it was essentially a rookie mistake from a five-time world champion and that he absolutely should be penalised. Um, what, what were your opinion? Or what was your opinion on that? Uh, I mean, it, it, it was a, a, racing, uh, a racing incident. I think Valentino Rossi had the best um, uh, the, the, the best reaction to it. He said, um, you know, he's, Jorge is in a difficult moment and uh, you, want, you really want to try and, and, and make something happen. Um, and uh, obviously he was referring to him, to himself there, uh, 2011 Jerez, 
the uh, uh, turn one, um, uh, Valentino Rossi also um, tried to make something happen and ended up outbreaking himself and taking down uh, Casey Stoner. <laughs> Um, so yeah I think that was still sort of relatively fresh in, in Rossi's memory and that definitely made him uh, a little more lenient towards Lorenzo than otherwise uh, Vinales was absolutely livid I think Dovincioso was also quite angry but then he was he, I mean Dovincioso is very good at sort of covering that up but he said you know did um, Lorenzo come and uh, come and apologise yes he came and apologised but you know whether he apologised or not, it doesn't change anything. It doesn't. It doesn't change the result. The result is a is 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 nul point. Is a, you know a DNF. Yeah, exactly. Um, yes, an apology doesn't uh, doesn't give me twenty or twenty five points back. Um, Lorenzo, I mean, it's a uh, it's a strange one. It's another. I guess it's another low point in this season. I really thought after Haret, for example, when he was outside the top ten, at basically his favourite circuit. Uh, in conditions that really should have been in his favour. Uh, I thought it really couldn't have got much worse from there, but the season just has got worse and worse, David. There's not really any any end in sight. And um, listening to his words and speaking to some people from that team, any time there's a, a sort of a ray of light, you know, there's then a, a setback not long afterwards. Well, yes, but I think also, I mean, the fact is, he was up there battling at the front, um, which uh, has not been the case at all recently. Uh, the trip to Japan uh, delivered, or well, it, it produced all sorts of parts um, to be added to these uh, uh, to, to the tank. Uh, he's got some. He had some wings on there. Uh, on the tank to be able to hook his legs underneath. Um, he had various other bits and bobs to uh, uh, to make him a, that little bit more comfortable. So it sort of it, it sort of feels a little bit like, I suppose, the second half of his first season with Ducati, where uh, he, he started to get uh, well, sort of he started to get the the hang of the bike, um, but still couldn't put everything together really. Uh, I mean. The fact that he is fast, the fact that he was at the front means that you know there is promise. It's just that this whole braking malarkey is—it's um, uh, very difficult. Or it's very different on the Honda and quite difficult on the Honda. And that's, I think, the part that he's still struggling with is that braking and corner entry. Uh, uh, but that you know, corner entry is one thing which uh, you know Cal Crutchlow has also complained about on the on the 2019 bike as well. Yeah, for sure. I thought. It was a racing incident. Uh, these things do happen indeed. It was extremely unfortunate that he took four guys down and not just maybe one, not just even himself. Um, we saw the perils of trying to break and overtake people there on the early laps. The lap before, when Bradley Smith uh, torpedoed himself into the side of Alicia Spargo. Um, but there was one thing that Vinales said, which I did agree with and have to say is true. All year, Lorenzo has spoken about his struggles, stopping the bike, um, finding optimum feel when he's braking. He's going into one of the trickiest corners in the championship on the second lap, trying to overtake someone. And he's basically overtaking a Yamaha, which he knows he can just get down the straight in five corners time. That, that fair view? I mean, yes. Uh, to, to call it a rookie mistake, I think is. 
I think that's a it's a fair uh, it, it's a fair assessment because it's exactly the sort of thing that uh, a rookie would do, getting all overexcited. Um, uh, and I think Lorenzo was getting a little bit overexcited. Um, he could have sort of taken it a, a lot easier, but I think perhaps also, you know, he hasn't been in the front. Uh, in the first, was it six races of the uh, of, of the championship? So perhaps he suddenly finds himself in this situation and thinks, well, let's you know, he does get a little bit overexcited. He he, he tries to see how far he can take it, and unfortunately, how far he could take he could take it was sort of straight into the side of uh, of, uh, of Maverick Vinales. But um, uh, yeah, I mean, it was definitely an error of judgment. But it was the kind of error of judgment which quite often gets made. Yeah, yeah, sure. Um, it was a, a weekend of contrasts. And in some ways it was a weekend about the two Repsol Honda teammates because, uh, well, I think we saw the first on-track clash where both of the guys, well, one of them was uh, slightly upset at the other's actions. Uh, FP3, uh, Mark, Mark has found Lorenzo Turing around turn four. Uh, sorry, turn three it was, and uh, started gesticulating wildly. He felt it might have actually cost him a place inside the top ten um, at the end of FP3. Um, Marquez, I think, just scraped into the top ten at the end of that session, um, but found his last lap was sort of ruined by Lorenzo and did a lot of angry gesticulating. Um, there's a few indications that Marquez was a little bit irked at Lorenzo's trip to Japan. Um, was uh, throwing a few snipes his way uh, in his press comments on the Thursday before the event um, and well essentially it was about those two guys on Sunday because well Lorenzo ended up uh, helping his teammate uh, it was a race of real contrast in fortunes yeah I mean very much so um, to be fair, I think Mark Marquez has been making, uh, you know, sort of sniping comments at uh, Jorge Lorenzo almost since the moment that they were signed. He's been saying basically, you know, when you join the, um, when you join uh, the Repsol Honda team, you join because you're expected to win. You know, you don't you don't join and sort of ride around in uh, in ninth place and be happy about it. You you're supposed to come to win. Uh, and um, so I think he's been trying to put pressure on that. He was certainly quite upset this weekend uh, about a lot of things, but it felt also because this was a race that I think he was really quite worried about. Um, again, after Mugello, this is not a track where he's strong. Um, he it doesn't really suit the the the, the nature of uh, the Honda. Um, it wasn't a place where the Honda can really use its strengths. Um, uh, and or, or ride around its weaknesses. So, yeah, he seemed worried. He, he, there was he was following people a lot during practice. Um, it was interesting hearing people's responses uh, uh, to to that. I think uh, Andrea Dovizioso and, and Valentina Rossi both said, you know, well, it's it's quite clever because he's just sizing up the the, the competition um, but it also felt a little bit like he wasn't uh, confident enough that he would get straight through to you know straight through to Q2 just on his own merits he didn't um, and if you look at sort of the, the, the times in practice it was obvious he was fast 
that he didn't seem to have the sort of you know comfortable advantage which he has had in in, in previous races. So I, I think there was more to this more to this than met the eye uh, from from the very beginning. That was that was just the feeling that you got from him all weekend. Yeah, yeah. I, I would like to point out there that although you say it's not been one of his strongest tracks in the past, he has finished on the podium there, I think, every year, uh, bar that crash in 2015 when he was up fighting at the front. But then, you know, we do classify tracks where Marquez only finishes second and third as uh, his weak tracks. I guess that's sort of a, a measure of the man. Yeah, exactly. I mean, you know, third is a uh, third is is a mediocre result for um, uh, for Mark Marquez. You sort of expect him to win. I think he's. Uh, uh, I think this is only the second time he he's won here. I think he won here in two thousand and fourteen when he was on that incredible uh, run. Um, but apart from yeah, yeah, uh, in in his second year in MotoGP, where he won t- ten races straight, um, and. But really, uh, since then, he's he's not been able to dominate the, the way he's been able to at uh, at, at other tracks. So, uh, yeah, I mean, a weak track is a very relative term for Mark Marcus. Yeah, um, it was interesting. You mentioned about him following people, and we all know that Mark is like the smiling assassin. He smiles, laughs, um, can use his considerable charm to maybe cover up. Um, some ulterior motives at times I think it's safe to say um, but there was a bit of a short shrift that he gave us journalists on Saturday whenever he was repeatedly pressed about uh, his antics and qualifying when he was following several different riders and he eventually just shut them down and said look enough, I wanted to be on the front row I'm on the front row, that's it um, and I think that kind of uh, that gave a bit of an insight that yeah, he was putting himself under a lot of pressure this weekend and um, and yeah, maybe things were not going as smoothly as he had anticipated. Yeah, I mean, the, again, this it's a really important race for uh, for Honda and for Repsol and for him as well. I mean, it is the Catalan Grand Prix, and he's very much a Catalan. Uh, he speaks Catalan. Um, you know, Catalan's his first language; it's the language he communicates with everybody and so it really it, it really means a lot to him so I think he was putting himself under a lot of pressure um, and, and that was what made yeah that was what made things sort of more difficult uh, uh, that was one of the things that made, that made things yeah made it more difficult for him so uh, and also made him sort of pushed him into a mistake, and he didn't really, he really didn't feel the like I say the advantage which he normally has, which is um, you know he 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 can comfortably pull out another sort of two or three tenths when he needs to, and it never really it never really looked looked like uh, happening. Um, yes. Also, um, there was something I went back and watched the incident on turn at turn 10 on the second lap uh, several times to try and come to a definitive judgment on it um, and does strike me just how lucky Marquez is because essentially he's behind Davizioso going into turn 10 he makes the overtake and then it's Davizioso trying to square the corner off to get under Marquez that has him sort of in the middle of the corner when Lorenzo loses the front and uh, careers into him and well you could say that maybe Lorenzo wouldn't have crashed had Marquez not made that move and he saw Davizioso um, in the position he was in. But there was something about Marquez's almost luck at escaping everything, coming out completely unscathed. That reminded me of uh, you know, sometimes Rossi when he was fighting. 
in his pomp back in the 2000s. I remember Saxon in 2002 when I think the 500s, the, the two strokes were clearly superior. He was up with uh, Olivier Jacques, Alex Barros, and um, he was sort of sitting behind them. He wasn't quite as, uh, as nimble on his uh, RC211. And uh, while well, they both took themselves out, and it just seemed that anything he did, there would be a, a kind of path that open up in front of him, uh, which would allow him to win. And Marcus seems to be, obviously, he's riding absolutely at his peak at the moment. And I guess when you're operating at that level, you do force other people into those kind of mistakes. Yeah, I mean, I think there's a very, there's a famous quote from a, I want to say it's a golfer, someone like Jack Nicholas, but I'm sure I've got that one wrong, not knowing anything about golf, um, which is, um, uh, the more I practice, the luckier I get. Um, but, I mean, it, it it really is, the parallels with, Rossi, with Rossi's career are really quite fascinating, because as you say, uh, he is lucky. He was lucky in Mugello as well. I mean, uh, sure, Petrucci won. Um, but when Petrucci overtook him, uh, then he also that also pushed Dovizioso back into third position. Um, so he, you know, came away from Mugello with uh, an extra point. And here, once again, we see him, uh, you know, making a move and things unfolding because it could have been completely disastrous. They could all have been taken out, or he could have been taken out, and uh, Dovizioso could have gone on to win. Um, but the way it, play, it played out is, you know, his teammate manages to take out all of his main rivals, which is uh, quite a remarkable piece of, uh, uh, quite a remarkable achievement, really. Um, so, yeah, there is definitely sort of luck is definitely coming his way. And this reminds me a lot of, of, uh, of Valentino Rossi, certainly like in 2005, I can remember. It just It just seemed that every time something went wrong it went wrong for other people um and of course what happened to valentina rossi in 2005 is that 2006 happened when all of a sudden everything went wrong so it's going to be interesting to see how that how that plays out but um yeah i mean mark now looks in complete control of the championship uh yes what is it a 37 point lead i think uh, uh, that's a that's a really really comfortable lead. Uh, it, it, it's hard to see how he uh, or how anyone gets back. But it, it's also worth pointing out that um, sure, Dovi had a DNF um, and Maverick and and uh, and Valentina got taken out as well. Um, but this was Dovicioso's first DNF, and Marcus had a DNF. So this is really um, the, the, the true state of the championship, if you like, because um, you know they're all square in terms of uh, the number of races actually completed, uh, and it sort of shows what uh, what Marcus's uh, advantage sort of really is in the championship. Yeah, what it would have been had he not made that mistake at uh, the Circuit of the Americas. Yeah, exactly. Which leads me to my next question, David. 12 points was his lead coming to Montmelo. 37 points is his lead leaving Montmelo as I shuffle my paperwork. Is it over? Uh, I mean, of course, it's, it's never over. Um, anything could happen. Uh, it looks like, I mean, at the moment, obviously, we're recording this on uh, the sort of, you know, uh, the, the Friday a week before uh, uh, Assen. Uh, and the forecast at the moment look really, really strange. It looks like it's going to be really hot on uh, Friday, but it could be uh, very wet on Saturday and Sunday. 
so you know we could have a we could have a an insane race on on Saturday and Sunday. Um, Mark could crash, uh, Dovi could win. Uh, so yeah, I mean again, it, it, it's not over until Valencia, but uh, this makes things this does make things a lot difficult in the normal course of events. This makes things life very very difficult for Dovizioso, and obviously Dovi said the he said the same thing. Um, his strategy has been to try and put pressure on. Marquez to try and force him into a mistake, force him to take more risks than he really wants to. And you can only really do that when you're a couple of points behind him or a couple of points ahead of him. Uh, but when he now he's got a nice, comfortable lead, he can afford to settle for second. Um, and that's exactly the position you don't want uh, Mark Marquez to be in. Yeah, exactly. And it's a position that he knows so well in previous years, uh, previous championship battles, going back to 2016, 2018 as well last year uh, by the time he left the Saxon ring I mean effectively the championship was decided in his favour and he could just pick and choose the races where he wanted to go to the absolute limit and try and win and those were usually tracks that favoured him very much so tracks that didn't favour him he was like well I can sit second I can if I can beat one of the Ducatis today that's fine but I don't have to win and um, you know with Aston coming up I mean he was spectacular there last year Saxon Ring is pretty much a given, like the Circuit of the Americas, although I guess that carries its own inherent um, warning after what happened there this year. However, it is very likely, I think, that we're going to see Marquez go into the summer break with an advantage of more than 50 points, and that is just that's disastrous for, for Ducati. Yeah, I mean, pretty much, certainly, if uh, if the advantage gets up over 50 points, then then we're in real trouble. But if it gets to, uh, I don't know, if Marquez can, or if Dovicioska can can keep it to under 40 points, then maybe maybe there's, you know, something can happen because obviously we've got Austria coming up, which will be a Ducati, uh, which will be, a, a, or should be a Ducati track. Um, we have, although it's going to be interesting to see, to, to see Austria with the with the Honda's extra horsepower. Uh, uh, Bruno has not been a particularly good track for Marquez uh, uh, in the past. There's there's a few of these races where um, uh, you know other riders could take uh, could take points, and also again we saw. The fact that uh, Lorenzo took out um, Rossi, who was looking really strong, um, he took out Vinales, who actually looked really strong for a change, which you know it made a huge change. He was right at the front uh, early on of the race, which which hasn't happened in a long time. We saw Alex Rince. Alex Rince. Uh, I spoke to Alex after the uh, after the race, and he said he had a problem with the right side of his the right edge of his tire, basically, uh, which meant he was he was running wide at a lot of the long right hand corners, which. Uh, which Barcelona has, but you know, Rins has looked really strong, and of you know, of course, Fabio Quartararo. Quartararo is really, it really is the coming man, and looks like he's going to be, uh, uh, you know, causing, getting in people's way and and, and causing uh, causing the the odd upset uh, uh, every now and again. And that opens the championship up, uh, or that could potentially open the championship up. Because all of a sudden, you know, you haven't got one or two riders uh, in between. You you don't have to, you know, think about getting third. But it's quite easy to finish sort of fifth or sixth. Um, and uh, to me, the most obvious example was Valentino Rossi at Qatar, where he finishes six tenths behind um, uh, behind the winner, but that puts him in fifth place. Yeah, yeah. Well, let's uh, let's hope 
for the spectacle sake that it isn't quite over, but Mark is certainly in the driving seat after the Catalan GP. Uh, David, uh, that basically uh, brings our thoughts on the Honda guys uh, to a close. We're going to take a short break and we'll be back for the second part of the show in just a second. Okay, so welcome back to the second part of the show. It was an interesting weekend in Catalonia, not just for the crash and for the implications in the championship, but really on Saturday, uh, I was struck by the number of riders, David, that were not, they weren't lambasting the track, but they were talking really about how much it had deteriorated since the 2018 event. Uh, it was very interesting listening to Andrea De Vizioso. He said in FP4, the session that precedes qualifying, you have a really good idea of who's going to be able to do what in the race because that's when everyone fits the tires that they think they will probably use on Sunday. And then they go out and they're able to do a run of, say, nine, ten laps together. However, in FP4, we saw riders still completely confused by what tire combinations they were going to use. We spoke to Michelin Piero Taramasso on Saturday night. He told us that all six tires, the three fronts and the three rears that Michelin had brought to the track, were all completely open, all were capable of doing a full race distance, and all could be used with different combinations. Um, and, well, so it proved. I think that um, the state of the track has always been something whenever we go to the uh, Grand Prix of Barcelona, just because of the heat there. Um, but this year it seemed to be another level altogether. Yeah, I mean, it was it was complicated because the weather changed really a lot over the uh, over the, the 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 few days of the race weekend. Um, so it started off on uh, I think on the Tuesday, Wednesday, it rained really heavily, uh, so that put a lot of water on the track, and it also it brought up a lot of sand from the Sahara. Which you know, it, when the wind is 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 right, the wind, the Sirocco wind, which blows basically off of um, uh, or sort of north up from the Sahara, it picks up a lot of very very fine dust, and it seemed to rain the dust all over the uh, all over the surface. Uh, so the track was very very dusty. Um, it was quite dirty, and then it was the temperatures were. Um, I mean, I think I was I was you know sort of wearing a wearing a sweater on um, uh, on the Friday, and then by the time we got to Sunday, it was absolutely scorching hot. Uh, so the, the 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 conditions were changing. It was really difficult looking at. Normally, what I do is look at the analysis timesheets, which are available on the MotoGP.com website, to see who who's using which tyres to get an idea of what's going to happen. But it was absolutely impossible to tell. It was. Um, yeah, I mean, it, it was so confusing. Like you say, Neil, everyone was using lots of different uh, combinations of tyres, and you couldn't really make you, you couldn't really make head or, uh, you know head or tail of uh, uh, of who was going to be fast, who was not going to be fast, who was going to struggle, um, uh, who really had decent race pace. Um, yeah, like I say, it was uh, it, it was just it was just very odd, and I suspect also that the the, the track, although the track is you know the, the surface is is good. The actual surface of the track itself seems to be changing quite uh, seems to be changing quite quickly. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, and considering that the track was resurfaced, I think at the start of 2018, either that or the end of 2017. Um, yeah, I, I 
Yeah, I, I can't remember either. I think I have a feeling it was actually the end of two thousand. Uh, uh, it was sort of the, it was winter of two thousand seventeen. It was late two thousand seventeen. But um, uh, don't quote me on that. Okay. Um, yes, but uh, yeah, pretty notable, um, notable decrease in the, the quality of the track surface for sure. Um, two of the guys that looked really good, that looked most likely to possibly challenge Marquez in FP4, and then in the race. Uh, almost proved that way, where Fabio Quartararo and Alex Rins. Let's talk about Quartararo first, David, because another pole position, his second pole position in four races, um, and a first MotoGP podium. I think he's the fifth youngest rider to step onto the Premier Class podium. This is, well, confirmation of what we've been seeing, really, from Jerez. Uh, yes, yeah, exactly. I mean, this is... Um, uh Especially Jerez, as you say, uh, where he, you know, he looked on, he looked on for a certain podium uh, before a simple mechanical error sort of took him out. Um, but even at uh, even at Qatar in the first race, he was, uh, you know, he had the disaster on the grid where um, I think he stalled the bike on the grid and he had to start from pit lane. And um, uh, uh, but in the end, he still ended up. I can't remember if he set the fastest lap or he had one of the fastest laps. He was one of the. He was absolutely one of the fastest riders on track. Um, it was uh, the same again here. He rode absolutely superbly. He learnt again. Uh, sitting behind Petrucci because uh, Petrucci on the Ducati obviously had a lot had a lot of top speed down the front straight and was able to keep. Um, the Yamaha and the Suzuki of Alex Rince behind him just by, uh, well, top speed and some very clever riding around um, uh, around the back, uh, the back of the circuit. Uh, so, yeah, I mean, Quattro really does, he's starting to look like uh, the real deal. This was, Barcelona was the last chance for Quattro to uh, take Marc Marquez's record as the youngest ever GP winner. Um, but you you sort of wonder if he'd been sort of put straight into the factory Yamaha team whether he wouldn't have taken that uh, that record already because he really is looking just uh, just incredibly strong and he's certainly certainly in the right team structure to uh, to succeed. It's worth mentioning, David. This was eleven days after he had his right arm cut open as well. Yeah, exactly. To have uh, surgery on compartmental uh, syndrome, basically, you know, they they, they cut the the sort of a, a, a sheath of, um, uh, of of tissue which uh, holds the muscles in your forearms together, and they cut that open to give it more room to expand. Um, he said he didn't have too much problem with it in the race. He certainly felt it by by the end, um, but he could uh, uh, but he could ride with it. So that was impressive. But what was really interesting was the fact that he said that by the end of the race uh or that he he decided to have this surgery bef uh, after Mugello uh, uh and before Barcelona because he wanted to be 100% fit for Assen uh because I really think he thinks he can win at Assen uh, I was at the press conference for the, uh, for the, the you know, the, the, the local press conference for the launch of the Dutch TT in Assen on Wednesday. And there, um, obviously, Wilco Zielenberg and uh, Torleif Hartelman, who were a part of the Petronas Yamaha team, um, they were both there and they were trying their very best not to say, 
we think that uh, Fabio is going to win. Um, so I, th- I really believe he's got his sights set on that race. Um, it's going to be fascinating to actually see see how he does that. And he didn't really seem to put a foot wrong as he'd done in previous races. I mean, if we look back to Mugello, where he complained about the front tyre overheating, he seemed to manage that a bit better. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, and even if you look at Le Mans, I mean, I think he was running maybe not quite Marquez's pace of Le Mans, but certainly the pace to finish in second place for the second half of that race. But lousy start, uh, mistake early on, the race pushed him way back. There wasn't really that that, that sign of uh, an early mistake, although his, his start wasn't great as, again. And um, it seems that Cordero, like Vinales in previous runs, previous seasons, um, hasn't quite mastered that first lap, that first lap or two, when everyone is uh, going a bit mental, putting their bikes uh, where they want to, and uh, you're not able to run your normal racing lines. Um, but it is interesting. You look back at Cordero's performance at Aston last year, and throughout free practice, he was sensational. It took him some time to get going in the Moto2 race there last year when he was riding for speed up. But uh, I think from the second half of the race, he was sensational and uh, easily the, the quickest guy on track. And he says that that is the best race that he's ever done in his career. And it's going to be very interesting indeed to see that because it's not going to be just be him. We saw Vinales, we saw Rossi looking pretty good again uh, at Montmelo after tough weekends at Mugello. Rins and the Suzuki, I think, is going to be a really interesting proposition at Assen. Um, yeah, can we uh, can we go there now? <laughs> yes, yeah, actually, it's perfect racing weather, so it would be it would be great to be there right now. Um, what I what I would say, I mean, you, it's interesting what you say about uh, Quattararo in the Moto T race in Assen last year because it was the same again in in Barcelona that in the second half of the race, once he actually got past uh, Petrucci. Um, he was significantly faster than Marquez. He was, you know, like three, four, five tenths a uh, a lap faster. Uh, but it was too late, and he couldn't really close in close him down. And Marquez sort of responded one, on one or two laps, which was just enough to give him enough margin to make it uh, all the way home with a lead. Um, but yeah, I mean, Quartararo, if he'd have got past Petrucci earlier, it, that would have been interesting to see if he could have started. Uh, better if could have started closer to the front again that would have been really uh, uh, it, it would have made for a, for a, for a fascinating race um, and seeing that both Vinales and Quattararo struggle at the beginning of the race with a full tank it does make you wonder if there is something particular about the MR's geometry which makes it that little bit more difficult to handle off of the start yeah yeah absolutely um Although Vinales did look uh, did look pretty good in that first lap, I think he gained four positions. When was the last time we said that about Maverick Vinales on the first lap of a MotoGP race? Uh, moving on, just to Alex Rins, Dave, um, did he blow this? Did he blow this? I d- it depends on whether you believe. Uh, it depends on whether you believe he had a duff tire or not, really, um, because it did look like he was running wide, and he was running wide uh, solely on right-handers. Now. Uh, was is that down to him? Uh, did he mismanage the tire somehow? Um, it's hard to say. Was there was there just something with the tire that it wasn't you know completely the way that he was expecting it to be on the right hand side? It's it, it's really difficult to say. I mean, certainly this was uh, this was I think a race he could have um, 
uh, could have won and he definitely should have been on the podium. Um, it's really difficult to say whether he wasn't on the podium, you know, because he made a mistake or did something wrong or whether it was genuinely a a, a mechanical uh, or, or, you know, a tyre problem the way, the way that he explained it. Um, so, yeah, I mean, it it seems also a little bit like Rins, where Marquez, you know, the dirt always fall Marquez's way. They don't seem to fall Rins's way often enough. They're falling too often, sort of the in the wrong direction, and that's that's hampering thing. That's hampering him and making it more difficult for him. Yeah, yeah. Um, we were both at uh, Montmelo on the Monday for the post race test. <clears throat> and um, Suzuki's test team test rider Sylvain Gintoli were wildcarding at the weekend and they were also present at the test as well I had the chance to speak to Sylvain and his crew chief Tom O'Kean a really experienced engineer in the MotoGP paddock and was, this is more a general point about Rins but I asked Gintoli you know you see Rins' data is he good is he, is he great and he said what he can do in a bike he is a genius and Tom O'Kean was saying something very similar he said the way that that guy can ride he can ride to the lap times of Marc Marquez over a race run, and he still has quite a big margin in hand. He's not always absolutely on the limit. Um, and he said only, well, only really great riders are able to do that. Um, so, yeah, I think that confirmed what we've all been suspecting for quite some time now, that Rins, in terms of talent, and uh, his fit with that Suzuki really is the real deal. Um, and, uh, yeah, it shows how far he's come in recent months that we're looking at a fourth place as a, a really disappointing ride. The fact that he didn't challenge for the win as a, quite a disappointment. Absolutely. It, it's really clear. I mean, you can you can see the way that he's able to, you know, like pick his lines and overtake in places where you're not supposed to be able to overtake. Um, th- that's really, it's, it's really impressive and it's really, it, it's a mark of someone who controls the bike you know, completely. So, um, also, I think it was, was it after, uh, was it after uh, Le Mans or, um, uh, I think it was after Le Mans that he said, uh, when he was asked about, you know, has your championship gone? And he, and he said, well, if we don't win it this year, we'll win it next year. So there's, there's no shortage of confidence and no no shortage of, of belief that uh, he is capable of it and that the bike is capable of it. Um, and I think Barcelona proved it once again. But as you say, the question is what was going on with his uh, with his tyre, whether it was his tyre, whether it was him, uh, that meant he got stuck behind Petrucci and um, uh, uh, and just couldn't make a move, couldn't get past him and couldn't sort of stay in front of him once he did get past. Just to add to that, Dave, um, Jack Miller's comments I think were quite um, quite important relating to this. He said that one of his big issues throughout the weekend, Crutchlow mentioned it as well, was that you couldn't use the rear brake without the, the, the surface was so low on grip that any time you went in with a little bit of lean going into the corner, trail braking, and you were using the rear brake to slow down, the rear would just come around. And we saw that with um, we saw that with Marquez when he was following Rossi in Q2. He had a massive moment to turn four. Um, and Miller was saying that this was really hampering his braking efforts all weekend long. And he believes that that is what happened to rinse in the race. Remember, he had the massive moment to turn one, which he really was very lucky to save indeed. 
Um, it could be that uh, that was uh, that was also the issue. It didn't actually manage to ask Rins about that on uh, on the Monday. Um, but um, it is worth mentioning that Crutchlow, um, Marquez, Miller were having these issues with with the rear grip and not being able to rear, use the rear brake uh, as much as they wanted to. Um, but yeah, exactly. And I think it, certainly as soon as she got offline, then uh, then the track was still really quite uh, really quite tricky. So um, that that could also be a, a bit of a um, a bit of an explanation. Also, because uh, Rins does run sort of slightly different lines to uh, to the other bikes. He's you know he is riding rounder corners he is capable of riding in places where other riders can't ride the trouble is when you do that you're actually back out on the dunlop rather um left there by motor two rather than uh riding around on the uh, uh on the michelin rubber which gives you that little bit of extra grip okay Dave. Uh, i think that is everything for the second part of the show we'll be back with our winners and losers from the weekend in part three Okay, so welcome back to the final part of our show. It is uh, my personal favourite part of the show as well. We are going to talk about our winners and losers from the weekend. I think there are some very obvious choices for the winners and losers, but us being the contrarian types, we may have a surprise or two up our sleeves. Um, I'm going to start with you, David. Who was your big winner from the seventh round of the 2019 season? Against all conventional wisdom and surprise everybody and say that my big winner from the uh, uh, the Barcelona round of MotoGP for 2019 is Mike Marquez. Um, because, I mean, you know, he was he looked like he was struggling all weekend. Um, and the win, it almost literally fell in his lap. Um, he was in the right place at the right time during the crash. Uh, his teammate takes out all of his main rivals. Uh, he leaves Barcelona leading by 37 points where he was worried about sort of limiting the damage. He came into the uh, into the, uh, the the race expecting to limit the damage uh, and he goes away and he's got not an insurmountable lead but a very, very comfortable lead. Um, he also leaves with his rivals slightly demoralised because that when that sort of thing happens, uh, I mean, obviously... When it happened in the press room, it felt like the air went out of the room. It, it felt like it, everyone just went. There was an enormous sense of everyone feeling deflated. We were really looking forward to a great race, and it just sort of um, and it never materialised. And I think for Dovizioso and for uh, Vinales and for Rossi, that it, it was just that sense of frustration, really, that it was that. Um, uh, that they couldn't have done anything, and they'll be carrying just a little bit of that with them to Assen, and so it, it's hard to see how things could have worked out better for Mark Marquez. Really tough to disagree with you on that one, David. Very tough, but I'm going to have to choose someone different. Same second name, but different first name. I'm going to go for Alex Marquez um, because I think it's worth it's worth putting some praise on there on Marquez Junior because he's uh, one of the guys that comes in for quite a bit of flank, quite a bit of criticism. Um, we all know why. He was big up at one point by his older brother as having more talent than even him. And it never really quite worked out that way. Yet, um, here we are, uh, seven races into the year, and he's won three straight Moto2 races. Had it not been for Remy Gardner's high side at ref, I really fancy that it could have been four straight race wins in a row. Um, and... Well, he's just looking very composed, very assured. Um, each race that he has won recently has 
followed a similar pattern. Certainly there is a Mugello and a Barcelona have done anyway in that he gets a decent start. There's a few guys out in front ahead of him. He bides his time, gets himself into a rhythm, um, spends a few laps behind them, studies them, overtakes them, and uh, eases clear. And um, it appears that Mark is really, he's really got to hang off this, uh, this Triumph 765 engine. Um, he's got a new crew chief this year, a uh, new crew around him. And uh, they've basically, from the, the start of the year, been imploring him to ride slightly differently than before and say that he really has to pay more attention when he's picking the bike up. Um, and he said it was interesting listening to Alex after the race on Sunday. He said that compared to the speed-up chassis, which I think is the, the second most competitive chassis in Model 2 at the moment, um, basically Navarro, Fabio de Genantonio, they can carry a lot more speed on the edge of the tyre just because of the way that chassis works, whereas with the Calyx, you really have to pick it up, um, almost make a bit of a V out of a corner. And it's taken him some time uh, to really put this riding style, this new riding style into effect. Um, but since he's done it, uh, he's been quite devastating. And well, with Lorenzo Baldessari being as, uh, as uh, hot and cold as he is, and Thomas Ludi not quite showing the, uh, the speed that Marquez has, um, yeah, we're looking at a championship which actually I think Marquez might be able to win um, and uh, yeah, Barcelona was just another very assured performance from him and uh, well it's looking pretty good yeah, I mean, it's hard to argue that uh, it has been a great turnaround. I mean, I've I've always been a little bit sceptical of Alex Marquez uh, because he always seemed to end up to end up getting beaten by his teammates. Um, but honestly, since uh, well, really, I, I suppose since Mugello, because it was such a great he did, he did such a great race in Mugello, and this one this one again was just absolutely masterful. Uh, no, no hesitation. It's clear that something has changed. Obviously. Last year, the, the situation in the team was a complete disaster with um, uh, the breakup in of uh, Michael Bartolomei and, um, uh, and Mark van der Straaten. Uh, that completely ruined the atmosphere in that team for that year. Uh, it made things very, very difficult. Um, that's gone. Uh, Marcus or Alex has got a new team around him. Uh, they've got the, uh, I think, Joanna Olive is managing that team now and uh, everything is much more stable. Um, and that's starting to pay off. And I think there were, at the beginning of the year, there were sort of question marks over whether Alex Marquez deserved to be in MotoGP. Uh, and there have been rumours that he might move up to MotoGP, although I think his best bet is to wait until uh, 2021 when all, the, all of the seats are open. Um, but really, Alex is, is, is looking like he absolutely deserves it. It was, it was a very thoughtful and considered uh, race win. So, yeah, uh, just like you said, Neil, he's, he's looking really, really strong. And I, I have to agree, I think he has to be the favourite for the championship. OK, that moves us on to our losers. The obvious choice is Jorge Lorenzo. But are you going to go for the obvious choice, David? Wouldn't be like you. <laughs> it would be. It would be very like me to go for the obvious choice. Uh, no, I mean certainly Lorenzo was a a, a, a loser, but I th 
as I said earlier, I think he gained more from this than he actually lost. Sure, it was unfortunate, but he gained a little bit of confidence of actually being at the front and racing at the front um, and, and having a little bit more of a feel for the uh, uh, for that. I, I think if we we're going to talk about the, the, the test on Monday where he had a massive, massive crash and banged himself up, then he would definitely be the loser of that. But I, I think I am going to go for um, Andrea Dovizioso. Um, for a lot of reasons. I mean, really, it could be any of the three of uh, Jorge Lorenzo's victims. Uh, but I think Dovizioso didn't just get taken out of the race. Uh, he got taken out of the championship as well through absolutely no fault of his own. Um, you know, Dovizioso could potentially have won this race. Uh, if he hadn't have won this race, then he would at least have been extremely close to uh, to, to Marquez, either ahead of him or um, uh, or perhaps just behind him. Um, but he scores absolutely zero points through no fault of his own. Uh, I mean, I think runner-up in the loser of the uh, of the week has to be Maverick Vinales because he finally manages to put together a fantastic start and a, and a really sort of strong couple of opening laps. And his reward is to be taken out uh, 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 sort of halfway through the second lap. So, um, yeah, I mean, it's... Uh, uh, you have to feel sorry for Dovichioso because this also ruins Dovichioso's strategy. As I said before, the strategy was put pressure on uh, uh, on Marquez, uh, force him to do things he's not comfortable doing, um, and uh, see if you can force him into a mistake. And um, uh, that strategy has gone completely out the window now, and I'm not sure there is a strategy with which you can beat him. Okay, fair point, Steve. And your loser, Neil. Who is your loser? Well, I thought you were never going to ask, David. I nearly didn't. Yeah, hence the silence there. Uh, you, well, you, since you've chosen the videos that you've mentioned, Vinales, I'm going to actually go for uh, for Francesco Bagnaia because, uh, well, there was another crash for him. Looking through the championship, that's the fourth time, fourth race in a row that he's actually crashed out of. Um, and, uh, well, basically, I, I, watching Moto2, uh, last year, I thought Banyaya was, uh, well, the season that he did was just exceptional. Um, going into the Pramac squad with essentially the core of Jorge Lorenzo's team from last year, Jorge Lorenzo's bike from last year. And I thought we were going to see Banyaya up there fighting for top sixes. I'm not going to lie. I, I thought he was honestly going to be up there fighting for top sixes from the very start. Um, but uh, yeah, the season hasn't really got going. Um, he did set, I think, the second fastest time at the Sepang test back in early February, and that really got us all very excited indeed. Um, but, uh, yeah, there's been a lot of mistakes, and I think Mugello aside, there's not really been a race where he's looked capable of running towards the sharp end of the top 10, the top 6, and I know that's, uh, that's kind of a ridiculous thing to say of a rookie, but um, when you consider the performances of other rookies going into very competitive packages in recent years. When you consider the performances of Fabio Quattararo this year, finishing on the podium in just the seventh race, uh, amassing two pole positions, I'm a little bit surprised that uh, Banyaya has uh, has taken a bit longer to get used to uh, the GPA team. And uh, yeah, four crashes in the last four races, that's not really uh, the best recipe for getting your confidence in tip-top shape. Um, so yeah, I think Banyaya has uh, this is maybe more of a general uh, disappointment so far this season. Um, but uh, I am well aware that as a rookie, 
and we're likely to see a quite a big upturn in his results in the second half of the year. Um, but yeah, a little surprised that uh, it hasn't really come and worked out for him just so far. Yeah, I mean that's absolutely uh, absolutely a, a good point. We all thought. Uh, I remember the Sepang test. We all thought, you know, he, he's the second coming, and he's he's going to be uh, the man to look out for. And would he be on a uh, on the factory Ducati in twenty twenty? But you know, it just re- he really hasn't been able to put it all together. He's clearly capable of of putting in a fast lap. Uh, Racing is more difficult. um, And as you say, sort of, you know, four crashes in four races, just looking at the championship standings and he, you know, out of seven races, he's got nine points. He's level on points with Michele Pirro, um, who's only done wild cards. And and Tito Rabat, he's behind Miguel Oliveira, who's a rookie on the KTM, uh, which is, I think that KTM, the KTM, the Tech Three by uh, in the Tech Three garage is clearly the worst uh, worst bike in the championship. So yeah, it's uh, it, it's not good at all for not looking good at all for um, uh, for Pekka Benya, and he needs. I mean, you sort of get the idea that he needs like one or two things just to come together, um, and when they do, then it will it'll be it'll be very different, but. Um, yeah, I mean, it really is. Yeah, yeah, we expected much, much more of him. Yes, absolutely. Okay, fantastic. So, well, I think that pretty much brings our show uh, toward its climax, David. Uh, I'd like to thank you for another appearance on the Paddock Pass podcast. And thank you very much. No problem. We'll be back again uh, from Assen, uh, your home race, essentially, Dave in just over a week's time for all the reaction to round eight of the 2019 season. Uh, We are recording this on the Friday after Barcelona and uh, FP1 has just been completed in the Zano World Superbikes. Steve English and Gordon Ritchie are both there on the ground. Both of them will be recording the show this weekend as well. So there should be another episode out very soon indeed covering all the action from World Superbike Championship. And uh, well, yeah, that's about it. So thank you very much listener again for your company we hope to hear from you soon i hope that you are following our social media channels as always uh, that is twitter sorry on twitter at paddock pass pod facebook forward slash paddock pass podcast and of course if you're finding us through the apple podcast device well if you could leave a review that would be most appreciated we do also have a patreon page that uh, well helps a little bit with us going to races and uh, you can subscribe to our patreon page for as little as three dollars a month and you do get some extra juicy uh, insider comments and reaction from some of the race weekends there might be some debriefs uh, little bits of interviews um, little extra surprises in there as well so if you fancy donating uh, up to three euro or three dollars a month uh, yeah that's uh, patreon.com uh, forward slash paddock pass podcast So thanks very much, listener. We'll be back again with another show soon. See you then. Nice one, Neil.